0: all right so we made it to the end of ds9 we're done with it it's over we watched or at least i watched 100 and something 76 episodes of this clay you did more than half of those by mm-hmm. far uh and now we're at the end of it we're going to do a little series wrap-up i think will be a good way to close this thing out and we'll see how it goes from there but clay first of all
1: how are you i'm good i'm uh <laughs> for for another 200 in the patreon we'll go back and i'll watch all the episodes i didn't watch <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you um, you you obviously started at full time in the fourth season, and you saw everything I think, but two episodes from the fourth season on. So it was uh, mm-hmm. it was a different experience. Do you do you want to get do you want to get into that? Like how your did it, did it compare to you in TNG versus a DS9 kind of like difference when it was when it was all over? Did feel I, I think we briefly touched on that, but you you only. Sort of got into TNG on like a semi-regular guest thing, where T- uh, DS9 was like a consistent 2 a week thing. Um, was it like a gym experience where you started getting in shape in terms of uh, recognizing the episodes or something like that, or does it feel exactly the same?
1: Um, <clears throat> it feels more or less the same. Uh, I think it's 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 a weird, it's it's kind of weird how it all shakes out because I, I would the way that Deep Space Nine is structured, I feel like you become uh, more comfortable with the characters and seeing how they change and everything and blah, 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 blah. But with TNG, the characters are so static for the most part that I feel like you just settle into that quicker. Yeah. And so when you get to the end of TNG, I feel like I know the characters just as well as I did in Deep Space Nine, even though I watched like... A quarter uh, of the episodes, maybe. Yeah, or whatever, Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll, uh, before we go to break, I'll ask you a question here, and then we'll get into it after the music break. So which of these is the better series, DS9 or TNG? We'll give We'll, we'll give... start some fights. <laughs> we'll give Clay some time to think about it. We'll play some music, and we'll be right back. The
1: real answer is the original series, obviously. The answer is they're all equal. Here's the music.
0: Accessing library computer data.
1: Out there, there are no saints. Just people.
0: I think as we uh, as we get into talking about wrapping up DS9 and everything, it's kind of a silly, unfair question because I think the series are very different from each other. But mm-hmm. do you think that one I, I think that I think that whether or not how you answer that question whether or not TNG or DS9 is the superior series kind of comes down to... I think it's a good way to define what you look for in a TV show in a lot of ways and what you think mm-hmm. is important for a TV show to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if you have an actual answer to that question or if you just wanted to spin it off into some kind of political answer where you don't really answer and then go off into something else. <laughs> <laughs> You're free, well, to take it, free to take it however you want. But do you, do, you, do you kind of understand what I mean when I'm asking... I, I think that DS9... If anything, my takeaway here is that I think DS9 in the fandom is both underrated and overrated at the same yeah. time.
1: Yeah. You'd agree yeah. with that? I, I would. Um because I uh well my political answer is, you know, we we don't need to it's not it's not which series is better it's all about you know whether or not we have clean drinking water in this country isn't 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 that something we can all agree on (laughs) the actual Uh, political
0: answer is you blame me for not getting the job done to explain to you which series is better and then we go off on that
1: yes uh just look at his patreon he's taking donors he's taking donations from big money (laughs) big money corporations and i'm over here watching these episodes by myself in my own home for you hungry um uh it's i think it's un, unfair but i think that the only way that you can really kind of look at these and and compare them is you have to look at the best of the best from each series because the one thing i've learned doing both of these shows is there are is a shocking number of not very good episodes mm-hmm. across all 7 seasons of both series and i think if you really wanted to get into the into the the trenches about which one is better I, you can only really compare them at their at their best um that being said i think their bests are different so yeah i think it comes down to what you said it, it's what you're looking for out of a television show um because obviously deep space 9 at its best has uh is more um i just i keep i keep i keep i hate keeping defaulting to it's serialized to be the 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 thing that makes it different because it's not (laughs) you know it's like it's i'm tired of saying that yeah i know i I don't know what else to say though because it's it's like i feel like deep space nine at its best takes the idea of star trek and kind of like really kind uh, tries of to, tries to break it and see how far it can bend, and then it usually bounces back and reaffirms reaffirms that uh, reaffirms the idea and the, and, and the core of, of Starfleet and all that kind of shit. It's a more provocative TNG, series. Yeah, it's a more pro- provocative series. TNG, at its best, is great high-concept sci-fi. Yep, It's got, okay, these are the characters, you know these characters – they're going to be in this situation this week, and you go, "Oh, that's a cool situation." I wonder how they're going to react to that situation. Yeah, and then they go through it, and then it's it's a nice you know up and down story, thrill ride, whatever. And at the end, you go, "That was a great episode of TV. That was a great story." Deep Space Nine is a little bit more uh, introspective, I think. Um, yeah,
0: you know, I, I was trying to I was trying to break down what I think the difference between the two of them are, and I do think there's a like. It feels funny discussing it because on its face, it's kind of obvious what the difference is between the two series, Mm -hmm. especially after we've watched so many of them. But I think that to me, what really comes back as the distinct difference between the two kind of ties into serialization, but not at the same time where TNG, when TNG made a mistake, it was only confined to an episode. You know what I mean? It was... Mm -hmm. The like the the biggest mistake you could say T and G would make would be like well they didn't execute Wesley that Crusher. idea
1: what's that Wesley Crusher
0: Wesley Crusher that, that's no, true I'm just, he's you've <laughs> he's, he's actually broken my argument I think T and G you could say doesn't really like a, a mistake on T and G's level is they carry over an idea or they um they don't execute on an idea or the idea itself is not particularly good from the get-go. Mm-hmm. But 45 mm-hmm. minutes later, the idea is gone, and the mistake has
1: been kind of wiped away. Yeah. And I, I'm not going to The gonna people go neg- of Angel 1, Wes, will never be forgotten.
0: Right. You, you might not forget them, but they're, they're, they're not on the DVD. The next track of the DVD or something. Right, yeah. But DS9 is different, and this sounds more negative than it is, but I think this is actually ties into the positives of the show. So I'm going to list a few things here, Clay, that... I consider mistakes that DS9 has done over the course of seven years. The mm-hmm. Ferengi storylines. The Mirror Universe. Mm-hmm. Vic Fontaine's oversaturation. The mm-hmm. O'Brien family. Ezri mm-hmm. Dax. The mm-hmm. Prophet storyline. Kira mm-hmm. and Odo in a relationship. Kira's mm-hmm. dating life in general. Beryl mm-hmm. from Bajor. Mm-hmm. The Bajoran religion. Kira mm-hmm. moving in with the O'Briens. I don't even know if you remember that happened. You're
1: just, you're just summarizing the series at this point.
0: <laughs> Kaiwen the par rates, and mm-hmm. Cisco being divine as a half-profit person. Mm-hmm. So the the thing that sticks out to me is that DS9 made a tremendous amount of mistakes, I think, over the course of its series. like More than you would expect a really super well-written show to do, but that's not to say that they didn't do things well, mm-hmm. but what really sticks out to me is the number of times that they had a bad idea and they were kind of stuck with it for a little bit of time and you had to right. deal with it over an extended period. And it's really interesting that When you do a show that's 26 episodes over seven seasons and you have some mistakes in it, it feels like it's a lot of the material is actually not very good, even if there is a lot of great material. TNG, to me, doesn't have that kind of memory in my head when I think about it. I don't think about the bad plot lines. I think about bad episodes, but that seems distinct from a bad plot line.
1: Yeah, and I think think that's a big difference when you get into these episodic and serialized shows is because uh, you end up thinking that way. You don't think of, oh, man— Remember that episode where the Enterprise keeps blowing up? That episode's so cool. You what you think of is, man. Remember uh how Kira and Odo got together and that was a thing for like 3 seasons? Mm-hmm. That could have done without that. You know, it, it's <laughs> you know, it's it, you end up remembering different things. So in place of, oh, remember that episode, it's oh, remember that plot line. Yeah. And yeah, if you end up in the uh minus side with a plot line, it's going to be something that stands out and and gets remembered the way a bad episode gets remembered.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's just um, what what did you what What's your major takeaway of this series? I guess if if you want time to think about it, I think mine would just be that it was the major the major takeaway. I guess is like the, just the general sense that it was. Truly a kind of different take on Star Trek than what TNG did, where TNG was mostly mm-hmm. just an evolution of what TOS was doing, and it just kind of repeated it, but it made it version 2.0, and it became mm-hmm. better because of that, and it was more modern and everything. DS9 is... DS9, like, what sticks out to me is just the, the wealth of the universe that they created within the single series. I mean, it's like outside of the main cast members just the, the guest cast here is just this is another list for you, but it's like Keiko Bryan, Rom, Nog, Garrick, Lita, Ducat Cassidy Yates, Winadami, Luxana Troy, Morn Martok, Michael Eddington, Demar Gowron, Barail, Opaka, Brunt, Wayun, Torres Female Changeling, William Ross, Vic Fontaine, Shakar, Zack, Ishka, Joe Sisko. There's like, there's just so many characters that, like, I don't
1: think TNG even
0: filled 10 forward with that many characters when they were shooting right. something, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, um... <clears throat> I think what deep space 9 really does cuz you know like you said uh, TNG is more or less a copy of uh, structurally anyway or or in concept the uh, a, a copy of the, the original series and I think they either realized if they didn't realize it at the conception of the show they realized it fairly quickly that that you just can't keep doing that and which is why they ended up getting uh, away from the TNG style episode structure, even though it seems like it was it was uh, conceived with that in mind where it's like, oh, yeah, this will be the place where instead of the ship going somewhere, people will come to the ship. Yes. But they found out quickly that that didn't work. And so they had to kind of evolve and, and adapt. And I think the the biggest. Plus to the Star Trek universe writ large that Deep Space Nine contributes is that it really makes the universe or the galaxy or the quadrant or whatever you want to call it feel like it's alive. It, it feels like there's a, 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 a mass of, of people and a, uh, communities, a civilization, I guess, um, whereas TNG kind of has like the, the Star Wars planet syndrome where it's like, up, oh, th- okay, we're gonna go talk to the Romulans. They're over here. Now we're gonna go talk to the Klingons, who are like way over here. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, we're going to Tatooine. That's this planet. Now we're going to Hoth, which is this planet, and they never really cross over, but they're both out there, and we gotta go to them. Deep Space Nine acts more like the uh, the the Cantina, where mm-hmm. it's where you get to see that this this universe that's been created is populated by people who interact with each other who uh you know who have differing opinions it makes starfleet feel like more of a thing because instead of it just being this concept that is coming from Picard or for, from some admiral uh to inv- um influence the plot point of an episode involving like you know mud farmers on some planet or some shit uh it actually has has a stake in what's happening and is involved, and you see how Starfleet affects different civilizations, and you know you've got people trying to add come to this Federation, people trying to get out of the Federation. You know, it really it really does a lot of great wor- world building for the concept of Star Trek, more so I think than a, a lot of the other series. Yeah, there's a lot. Of- I mean, even like voy like Voyager. Once you get past Deep Space Nine, Voyager kind of ends up, from what I remember anyway, ends up more towards TNG, where. Uh, they're going to a lot of stuff, but they're so far out anyway that it doesn't really matter Yeah, because it's not part of, like, the, the Starfleet or the Federation. It's all new uh, stuff. it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's all brand new, new stuff. stuff. Yeah. Which is fine, too, but it doesn't have that sort of – it doesn't solidify the concept, I think, the way that Deep Space Nine does.
0: Yeah, the, the other series feel like there's a lot of empty space in between things. Like, you're, yeah.
1: you're literally hopping from planet to planet. TOS felt that way. Uh, Which, I'll be honest with you, it could be a plus or a minus. Yeah, depending on how you how you view Star Trek as a concept, because if if your idea of Star Trek is space, the final frontier, who knows what we're going to find out there? Space is so vast that is not what Deep Space Nine is. Deep Space Nine is like, well, the space station is like a forty five minute shuttle ride away from everything. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you think so Discovery's it,
0: bad? Wait till yeah, D- DS Nine is right there in the middle of stuff. No, I know what you mean. Yeah, I know. I because this is this is probably it sounds more like I'm critical of DS9 but what I what I sort of want to protect is that I think that what DS9 did was a good job of separating itself from enough from TNG where I can't I can't easily say that DS9 is a superior series to what TNG did because mm. I I think that what TNG did is actually kind of a very impressive accomplishment in a way that DS9 like TNG is more of a perfection of a format than DS9 is this sort of experiment of a format and Mm -hmm. DS9 in its experimentation made a tremendous amount of mistakes I think which is really kind of fascinating And that it's like it still managed to be good at the same time as it was really trying to figure out how you're supposed to tell stories like this going forward Mm -hmm. and I, I think that that That's the question of whether or not I think DS9 is overrated. I think DS9 is slightly overrated in the sense that I don't think people acknowledge how bad DS9 could be in some places. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think so too. I, I think, uh, especially coming at it as someone who's never seen it before and hearing it talked of as this great, you know, television cinematic achievement, um, I was, you know, the thing that's is the cliche that people say is like, Oh, well, you know, once Worf shows up and once he shaves his head and stuff, that's when it just, it's all full steam ahead. But when we got there, it was like, okay, yeah, I'm ready for this. It's still kind of (laughs) bad. It's, it's better, but there's still, you know, there's still stepping in dog shit. One out of five times instead of one out of three times, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, so it's like I think the it, it is one of those things where it's like if you really distill it down, I think we talked about this in the last episode, but it's like if you took all 7 seasons and stripped away like 50% of it, I think you would have a fantastic show. And I'm not saying it's not fantastic, but I think that would that's the show that people think of. Yes. This 50% that is just really elevated. And They're the opposite they kind of what of, I'm
0: thinking of, which are the mistakes. It's thinking of the right. Pale Moonlight. It's thinking of the Occupation arc. It's thinking of those things. And a lot of the comments from people who have been watching with us this time are going, you know, I didn't remember season seven being so middling for a lot yeah. of this. Like, I, I didn't yeah. remember that
1: all these bad episodes that happened here. You just kind of block them out. Yeah, because you think of like the high points and you think of, oh, the 10-episode arc at the end, which apparently everybody forgets is like 50% <laughs> garbage. <laughs> <laughs> It's kind of like it's like uh it's like the the Guns and Roses albums, you know, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. Yeah. yeah. Um uh, if you like if you if they had really put the edit to those things and came up with one album, that would have been like the best album they ever put out. But they decided to do two albums, so you get like Four or five really great songs across like 12 to 15 tracks. And then the rest of them are kind of like middle to bad. Yeah. Same with the Clash
0: of Sandinista. It's a three album release that had maybe one album worth of songs on it.
1: Yeah. You know, sometimes, sometimes you got to know when to, when to strip it down. But obviously in this case, you can't do that because it's a television show. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it it is. I, here's a question for you because you, you, you're, more familiar with both series uh than i am at least on a a, uh uh, and how they work together and x x y and z what is it do you why do you think this series has overtaken tng the way it has when people talk about star trek as as the one being like oh tng's good but deep space nine is is the shit that's where it's at
0: I think that I'd actually be curious to know. Would you say that you think? Uh, before I answer, would you say that that is a fandom conceit, or do you think that the general public would
1: say that as kind of a matter of fact? Well, I don't know if the general public knows what Deep Space Nine is. Right. <laughs> so, I, so, so
0: we're talking about just a fandom I, thing. Right? Yeah.
1: When you when you get into fan stuff, it's always like I don't know if it's uh, if it's the the idea of like you've got your really popular, well known thing. But you know the people who are in the know, the cool people. Yeah, the black like sheep the is cooler than the, the, yeah. the yeah, yeah, yeah. It's where like Martin Scorsese movies. Everybody loves Goodfellas, but I really like the King of Comedy, like that kind of thing. Right? Or is it? Is it like you know where? Where do, is that? What it is? Is it just a matter of uh, you know, if you're a real fan, you like Deep Space Nine, or I don't know what? Because don't don't perceive that as me thinking less of the show. I'm just interested as to why it. It has become this uh, dark horse favorite, I guess. I think I think there's two,
0: probably two reasons for it. The first one is what you were talking about, which is that it is not the popular one. Therefore, it's kind of cool to like it more than sure. the other stuff. So it is a dark mm-hmm. horse where, um, and it's a dark horse because of the nature of what it does, which is that even if people don't. Want to sort of verbalize the fact that it 's pushing against the Roddenberry thing, like the the people who don 't like d s nine who seem to be really into Star Trek tend to in my opinion, fetishize the Roddenberry universe where they 're like mm-hmm. d- the problem with d s nine is that it 's too dark, and a better Star Trek series would actually come up with a way to defend roddenberry 's ideals by not criticizing them in a lot of mm-hmm. ways so mm-hmm. DS9 doesn't do that. DS9 has a war story that I think is kind of a uh, people like that, like people like a war story and things. But I think the other thing that's maybe a more cynical take is that I think people over fetishize serialization in TV these days. And mm-hmm. I think that they, I think there's a belief that making a serialized story is harder than doing an episodic show over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's true. Um, I think that d s nine makes it seem difficult because they did not know what they were doing for so much of the time that mm, it, well, it i mean
1: discovery makes it look difficult just Disco-
0: yeah. <laughs> discovery makes it look difficult too, but there's a lot of other non star trekky shows that are serialized that don't make it look so difficult to do like you' sure you'll you'll have problems and everything, but I think that's pretty much it do you, do you have a do you have a different opinion about why people like this show more than that? I think that's really those are the major two reasons to me as to what it is but I also I say that in the sense that if you gave me a task of I'm on like the Harvard debate team and our topic is which of these series is better I could go on mm-hmm. either side and I think I could make an effective case for why either one is superior to the other. Yeah,
1: I I would agree with you. I think you can. I think you can go either way with it. I think it I do think it is I do think it stands out because it is really even across, you know, if you, if you're not considering deep discovery, uh, just for the sake of argument, we're not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll you'll see what I mean in a minute. Um, it is the it is the one that doesn't. It, it's the outlier, like it, across five series of television. It's the it's the only one that's really changes the format because v- voyager kind of goes back to the old way more or less yep um enterprise, enterprise is just
0: before yeah
1: yeah i i imagine Enterprise is, is similar that where it's it's more is i i've only watched like a, a couple episodes of enterprise but it feels to me like it's not really super serialized and it's got more classic star trek feel to it is that the case it is
0: it's four seasons the first two are not really serialized and then they started to serialize things more later on but it's it's, in general it feels much more like a traditional the ship is called the enterprise
1: like it's a right Right. it's in that vein yeah yeah and so deep space nine is the outlier that tries something different and it succeeds at it for the most part i guess it's I think – no, let me – I would – I think it succeeds at it. As, as far as what it's trying to do, I do think it succeeds at it more often than it doesn't.
0: It succeeds um, in soft serialization much better than it does in hard serialization.
1: Yeah, and just the concept of the stories that they're telling too. I think it's – whether or not the stories themselves are a success, the fact that they are telling those kinds of stories is in and of itself a success mm-hmm. because it is changing the the approach to the material in a way that uh that still I feel like stands out from uh all the other series. So I can I I can see why it, people are drawn to it. Um you know, it's like when your favorite band does an acoustic album and you're like, "Actually, the acoustic album's really good because usually they just play like shredding heavy metal guitars all the time." <laughs> it's the Deep Space 9 is the Led Zeppelin 3 of Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, it's um I'd agree. I'd agree with that. It's 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 tough because we're so... I, I guess the difference in mentality is like we just finished DS9 and we've kind of had... We've had two plus years of being away from TNG uh, for this time mm-hmm. before you... When mm-hmm. you start reconsidering it and everything like that. But I think it did do... It, what, what I mean by soft serialization is that when it wasn't trying to span an arc over multiple episodes, that was kind of like trying to... Uh, continue a story for multiple episodes more than a double uh, two episode double episode two parter or whatever Mm -hmm. it did a better job of building a universe which is what I'm considering soft civilization which is that you're coming back to things that you know and things that exist in this world but you're not sort of telling the story continuously for a long period of time sure the show is not very good at doing that the final arc showed that and even some of the occupation arc showed that that they weren't Mm -hmm. really equipped to do that kind of thing but just the the depth of the guest cast that they made by the end of the show builds this world that really feels like it sits somewhere as opposed to TNG, which is always on the run from something. It's always running away to the next story. Yeah, DS9 just kind of settles in that. And I think that it, in a lot of ways, I think that you could feel more at home with the DS9 TV show because it feels like a place that you can exist. Mm, and TNG... Yeah. People like TNG because it's like the friendly work family that you can hang out with. Yes, but I feel yeah. like DS9 actually feels like a more,
1: more like a real family to you. And As far as guest cast goes, I mean, it's not even close between Deep Space Nine and TNG. No, yeah, like, they <laughs> who's the best they, guest? Who's the best? I was just going to say time? that yeah. I, they they serve very different purposes, though. Because TNG, it's like bring this guy in for one episode. He's kind of wacky, huh? I guess we'll never see that guy again. Whereas Deep Space Nine, you're bringing these characters in. To try and flesh them out and and make them a character who now lives in this world. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, a sexy candle ghost or a space Irish or... Um, oh,
0: I'm, I'm even thinking of... Um, I'm just thinking of, like, recurring people like Guinan. Like, Guinan sure, is yeah. my best example of TNG doing a recurring character. The only ones I could think of would be uh, Q, Gowron... <laughs> Uh, Lursa Pator, I suppose like there's not a lot of them Uh, Barclay Barclay oh Barclay that's right yeah Barclay would be there Lore I guess would be one Mm -hmm. none of those really excite me though like if you were to tell me that
1: we were not going to do another TNG episode with Lore I'd say good that's fine I'll see you yes yeah like I when you think about Lore and what he does or doesn't bring to the table and then you (laughs) think about like Garrick Yeah. yeah you know it's not even close yeah
0: no it's the guest stars of DS9, it, it, it's it's probably the weakness in the, uh, the, the how they are executing as TV shows. Because TNG has to bring in, as you say, a guest character has to come in and bring his guest star trait to that episode. Yeah, so, it's
1: the definition of like the, the old style guest star.
0: Right. So you, you're, the theme of your episode revolves around whatever that trait is of that person. Yeah. Where yeah. the DS9 guest cast can be brought into any story. And it feels natural that they would be mm-hmm. there. And you can – you still do the same thing where you kind of shade, like, Garrick's main purpose over the course of the series is to when he pairs with another character, he kind of causes that Starfleet character or whatever to question what their foundational beliefs are in things because mm-hmm. he doesn't believe in any of that stuff. But yeah. that feels more thematically appropriate to the series than a mustache-twirling double duplicate of Data comes along and has emotions. Right. Yeah. Like, that just doesn't it feels more campy and unbelievable.
1: They I I don't think they really get into this in TNG. I guess Guinan is probably the closest one, but it's on Deep Space 9, you can have them you can have these guest stars who are not the focus of the story. Uh and who are just like if you are telling your story and then it's like, "You know what? It would be great if in this episode Bashir talked to Garrick for like 5 minutes at the beginning." You could do that whereas in TNG if that happens, then that character is involved with the rest of the story. Yes,
0: characters you know? always characters always st- uh, stop by and stay a while in TNG. Yeah, they, they don't just exist on the ship.
1: Yeah, Guinan, Guinan's the only one who doesn't really do that. That's true. But that's that's her purpose, though. That her purpose is to be there for someone to talk to. She's she unlike Garrick, who is there to interact with Bashir, but he's also there to be involved in Cardassian things. He's also there to just kind of be a smarmy prick to people sometimes. Yeah, to to play cat and mouse with Odo every once in a while. Yeah. So it, it the the guest stars on Deep Space Nine are are a lot. Uh, uh, ha- the bench is a lot deeper on Deep Space Nine. Let's put it that way.
0: Yeah. So the the other thing is um, I'm going to be doing a 30 days of DS9. On social media, so it'll be the Twitter and the Instagram. So if you want to follow this, we'll do a couple of teasers here, but you can follow me on those two things, and you'll see my uh, picks for topics across a co- bunch of these. And I guess this is a good place as any to start. Clay, so I asked mm-hmm. you to come up with your favorite guest star or a guest character or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can either go first or I can go first, depending on what you prefer. So would you like the ball now or after me? Sure,
1: I'll go uh, because I it's I think the thing that gets funny with Deep Space Nine is the threshold of what counts as a guest star hmm. um gets a little fuzzy because my first thought was ducat but ducat is so prevalent that i don't even really think of him as a guest star yeah <laughs> i just kind of think of him as part of the story who's just not in every episode like i if i would i would consider he's more of a main him, character than jake in some ways i was just going to say yeah i would consider jake more of a guest star than than ducat yeah um, so, not counting Ducat, I think Garrick is probably my favorite guest star. Okay.
0: Yeah, we touched we touched on that a little bit. I mean, what what did you think that Garrick actually brings to this series in a way
1: that's unique for him? Or well, what, he, f- what, he fills what does that does he, excel role, at? he fills the role that I really enjoy, which is the you've got a bunch of good guys, and then you have one bad guy who's defected to the good guys, who always ends up on the side of good but you're never really sure whether or not he's gonna screw you uh i really like that character i think it's a great addition and i think they given the story they were telling his his character was fantastic for uh the sort of almost post cold war spy sort of angle yeah where you've got well, the war's over what is the spot what do spies do now um, do they lament the old ways? Uh, do they keep killing people? Do they become tailors? Um, he kind of lets you explore that stuff and gets you in to some uh, back channel Cardassian stuff when you need him to. He's just a, he's a, he's a good utility character. Yeah. Uh, as far as actors though, I mean Andrew Robinson is awesome. I think I I don't know if you can really put anybody above Jeffrey Combs because he plays like. Three different people, sometimes in the same episode. Yeah,
0: <laughs> he played, yeah Brunt and wayun are the two big ones. He played a one-off character in one of the other episodes, mm-hmm. uh, the one where he pays Quark to get some nudes, for, uh, some some nude photographs. <laughs> he's that character. Uh, he's he's actually my pick, and Wayoon is my pick uh, in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, which is... I suppose kind of controversial—not controversial. That's the wrong word for it. But like, I where I can see the Garrick pick and I can see the Ducat pick and everything like that. Um, my argument would basically have been it would have been Ducat, except for the last season and a half that we got of Ducat, unfortunately, sure. which really I think knocks him down quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Wayune is incredibly consistent, and I just think that Wayune, like the. I think the performance of having to nail Yun and what Combs did with Yun in his first appearance totally redefined what the Vorta are from that por- mm-hmm. period forward. Like the writers mm-hmm. were like, oh, this is how we need to write these characters. Um, what he did was it's an incredibly difficult performance to play this sort of sleazy bureaucrat character, the sycophant character, and not have mm-hmm. it come off as totally either cliche or just over the top campy. And right. Wayun to me is just such a wonderful example of like this middle management character who is endlessly diplomatic, is very like um, kind to his enemies in a kind of sleazy, underhanded way, but is also a true believer of the founders and has like good conversations with Damar and Ducat and Cisco mm-hmm. and Odo, and he's so wonderfully played by Combs, who just effortle- effortlessly inhabits that kind of a character that I think he's really unique in the show where where a lot of the other performances not to say that he's not campy, but a lot of the other performances feel like performances in a way that Wayun to me feels like an incredibly grounded character and how like someone would really act if that was his role and responsibilities. And I really mm-hmm. like him. I think he's good every
1: time that he comes onto the show. Counterpoint. Garrick never blinks and that's very difficult to do. <laughs> No, I, I I know what you mean. I I I think I I choose Garrick over Wayun or or Jeffrey Combs because I feel like while all the stuff you're saying is true, it I feel like Garrick just is more adaptable to different stories, mm-hmm. which I which I like. Whereas Wayun, you kind of know more or less what he's there for every time he shows up. Yes, um, which is not a bad thing because I think he still you know nails it. But uh, as far as characters go, yeah, I just I, I think Garrick is just a much more versatile character, um, and uh, I I would say I would I would agree though I I think probably the Wei Yun performance is probably a bit more nuanced than the Garrick performance because Garrick is fairly, you know, he's 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 not he's not broad. But he's a little bit more over the top than, than Wei Yoon is.
0: I, I think if you I think if you replaced the actors in those two roles, Yoon suffers way more than Garrick does. Garrick has Sure. Garrick has this interesting writing behind him because his his purpose and everything is kind of an interesting thing to do in this universe where Wei Yoon is, I think, pure performance in a way. Yes, like you, yeah. he, there's nothing really twisted about Wei Yoon in in terms of dialogue or anything like that, but just the the spin that Combs puts on him makes him such a interesting character when he's really just doing a lot of bureaucratic like nonsense and yeah. praising the founders and things like that.
1: Yeah, no, that's totally true. That's, he's definitely, uh, he definitely gets the Benicio del Toro award for making a lot out of nothing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I think that Garrick is certainly more thematically important to the series. Like if you, if you were to mm-hmm. pick a guest character that summed up DS9, I think Garrick is the only way that you can really go with it. um, mm. He serves that purpose well, but Ducat like the the way to go off of that is Ducat's tough because I love Ducat f- pretty much all the way through post waltz really mm-hmm. Covenants is almost fine too that's the one that you actually you actually kind of like that one where he becomes the devout religious leader for the majority oh yeah
1: yeah, that was pretty good I and
0: that one. and um but his his final arc is so so bad that it really yeah. knocks him down a little bit of a, a ways in my memory anyway, but it's, it's too bad because I think Ducat is actually a really interesting character too.
1: Yeah. I, uh, he's, I mean, he's great. I think he's, uh, I think he's probably a better cat, at least until they throw him off a cliff. Literally. Um, I think he's probably a, a more interestingly drawn character than any of the main characters. Hmm. Um, Maybe not any of them, but like I I, I find him and in, in his situation and his actions and his motivations really interesting in a way that I don't find a lot of the main cast uh, because every I guess he's at a bit of an advantage because he's only there. He's not there all the time, but so when he is there, everything he does has a purpose and everything he does has a motivation behind it in a way that like, you know. Just wharf hanging out, doesn't right? O'Brien, know? yeah, it doesn't, doesn't yeah. really always have yeah. something to do, yeah,
0: yeah. I'd I'd I would agree with that because I guess that can bring us into um, the next. Well, actually, do do you have a uh, a least favorite guest star? I was trying to think of one, and it's a little bit harder least actually. And, and,
1: what's that? Well, I was just saying least favorite, huh? Yeah, um, like.
0: Uh, you know, when I think of TNG, Elise's favorite guest star for me is like Loxana. Pops in at my mind. Yeah. Q Q even pops into my mind sometimes. I'm like, I don't want to watch a Q episode. Um, <laughs> DS9 is a little bit different, and I had to think about it, but I think I know who mine is. Uh, mine would be Beryl, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, anybody with Vedic in front of their name
1: <laughs> can go take a hike.
0: Vedic, I mean, even when Kai Nguyen is putting you to shame, but. Like in Beryl,
1: the other dude, who's the other dude Shakaar. that she's in love with? Shakar Oh fuck that guy. Yeah. Any of any of those people. Those characters suck.
0: And even even then it's not a um Barile sucks because he's just so boring. Like there, there's yeah. nothing fundamentally like obnoxious about him, I don't think. Or any you get an episode with Brial like, Oh, not a Beryl episode. You don't really think that you're just like, Oh yeah, right, this guy's gonna be in it for a while and he doesn't make a lot of sense being there and he's not very exciting to watch and all that stuff. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's just that's also a symptom of of the Bajoran stuff not being super well cooked. I think.
0: Yep. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. We can move into. um, We can just quickly sort of do hash out a, a ranking of our main cast members here. There's nine of them, and. We'll start at the bottom, which I don't think has changed for you, Clay, because I don't think the final chapter really involved him much at all, but is O'Brien still your least favorite character, or the least well-served out of all the characters on the show?
1: I think so, yeah. Um, I actually would... uh, On my list, I actually went by actors, not characters, but... Oh, sure. uh, uh, So you thought about them in
0: terms of just their acting as opposed to
1: their characterization? Yeah, and performances and quality of of performance and stuff. So we'll have have different lists, I guess, then, yeah. Um, Going by performer... I would say both versions of Dax are at the bottom of my list. Okay, um, they never really totally got the hang of that character. She gets better in like the last season or so before they kill her off. But I think they go back to zero with uh, with Ezri, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, um, yeah.
1: And I don't even think I maybe I, I don't know the name of the the woman who plays Ezri, but maybe. She might have a bit of an advantage because they kind of have an idea of what they're doing when they bring her back. But even there, she's, she never really, they never really dial that in. And she's in it. She's in the series so much in that last season, yet they don't really feel like they know exactly why.
0: Or, and yeah, or like, I guess maybe it's a slight difference or like, they don't have a good reason for, her to, be, for yeah. her to be there so often, which is kind of the same thing, but also different. Like the the low point of season seven is the three Esri episodes in a row for some incomprehensible reason. They thought that that was going to be a good way to go.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I don't, I still don't understand that. And it's not like, you know, if, if you've got like, if you've recast uh, Terry Farrell, if you've recast the role of Dax with like, I don't know who's a big actress in 1999. Uh, Kate Winslet or Lord, something. Lori Loughlin. <laughs> Kate or, Winslet. Yeah. You, you bring You're going big. You bring, yeah, they landed. You uh, bring Laura Dern. You bring Laura Dern in <laughs> to play. Dax or something. You know, if yeah, give her three episodes, sure. Uh, but as as it stands, it's Meryl, like, it's, <laughs> Meryl Streep is the new Dax on Star yeah. Trek: Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, that would have actually, I, that would have been, I mean, I guess I'm not thinking about the actress specifically, but that would have been interesting too. If instead of, instead of, uh, putting the Dax symbiote into a, uh, younger attractive woman, if they had picked like an older, more, uh, uh, seasoned actress. Wor- yeah. Worldwise, <laughs> a- uh, character, you know? Um, yeah, I, I, I think, I think overall she's at the bottom for me and uh you'd, you'd, uh, you'd
0: oh, so if you were to eliminate characters you'd choose dax over o'brien going through this if you were to like mm, to recast the show and put they put say it, you
1: had to cut one of these characters out uh well if you put it that way um if you put it that way i would get rid of o'brien because i think dax has more potential mm. o'brien is fine he's serviceable he fills roles that he needs to fill but i don't think he has like He's kind of he's kind of topping out in this series, I think. Yes.
0: Yeah, my my ranking for the bottom 3 would be O'Brien, then I have Jake, and then I have the Daxes after that. Mm-hmm. Um I snuck Jake in there just because he doesn't really feel like a main cast member, so it's difficult to right. place him anywhere. He does have the visitor, which is huge and which is not Rock Lofton for most of, most of it, but mm-hmm. um I just feel that Jake Jake is that low just because I think Jake serves an imp- important purpose for Cisco. He's he's an important character to have around for Cisco to exist and to sort of mm-hmm. make sense, but at the same time he's not really. If you were to cut Jake, I don't think you lose that much over the course of the series.
1: No, I don't think so. And yeah. I mean, I think that's evident at how infrequently he shows up. Would
0: he, would he would he be in one of your bottom three? He, he's in so few episodes. It's it's surprising. Yeah,
1: I actually, when I was thinking of people, I didn't even it, he didn't even didn't even like g- <laughs> yeah. I mean, him and Nog too. I I didn't I didn't consider either of them.
0: Yeah, Nog's not a uh, main cast anyway, so he won't be on my my list. But I I was wondering about Ciroc's, uh contract for that. Like, was mm. he paid per episode appearance, or because he's a main cast member, does he get paid for every single episode? I don't know. His name's in the credits, isn't it? Yeah, it's in the credits. So does that mean yeah. you? I don't know how paper how the contracts worked back then or anything like that but Yeah, no idea. So uh would you would you have anyone
1: different in your bottom 3 would, or what you would consider to be your th- bottom 3? Um for my if I'm going by actors, my bottom 3 are the Daxes uh O'Brien and Worf actually. Oh, Worf. Very low. <clears throat> yeah, cuz <'cause> I <clears throat> I think I just I think he's, I think the character's great. I would put, if you're you're going by character, I would put him a lot higher. But actor, I think Michael Dorn is serviceable at best. Like he, he's good. Uh, I think he benefits from learning how to play Worf over time. Uh, Because I forget, I think I I went back recently and watched an episode of TNG and it was very different. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit more stiff, Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, So I I think the character's great. I think his performance is fine. My middle I don't, I don't think he i don't really think he ha- he shows a lot of range let's put it that way no he
0: doesn't my my middle group are quirk Bashir and cisco mm. are my middle middle trio um i think i think Bashir actually is probably the most interesting of those three because he actually had the most development i think or the most um if not development he he certainly felt like it was an intentional evolution that mm. if or if even if it wasn't intentional on some level, that character changed into something that you feel seven years later he has learned something over the course of his adventures on that station, and he he feels like he's in a different place, and I think that's pretty interesting quark quark is funny quark um we talked about how odo and quark it felt weird when they say their goodbye and all and what you leave behind. I feel like quark kind of lost his way a little bit along the way like they kind of ran out of stuff to do with him and how prominent is armin shimmerman in the buffy series which he was doing at the same time as this do you like is he Uh, he he, a
1: major he was only in it for two seasons so uh let's see buffy started in 97 yeah i think so it's the last two years of ds9 okay Uh, yeah so then he was i i would say he was a guest a recurring guest star in seasons two and three Okay. So 98 and 99 roughly. Um, just a handful of episodes a season or something like that. Yeah. He played the principal of the high school. So I would say he was in maybe like a quarter of the episodes. Okay. Okay. I I feel like
0: when I, when I read that he was on Buffy at the same time, I was like, Oh, that kind of makes sense that he's not as involved in DS nine in a lot of ways at this point, but Mm -hmm. it kind of speaks to the general sense that we always talked about how the characters seem like they fell off a little bit of a ways there. Um, would you would you do you think that any of the, any of those performances on your list knock them up a little bit for you are they higher than that or are those all kind of your middle- uh, middle class people
1: uh my my middle three of performances are bashir quark and Kira oh, okay because I think bashir performance wise I think he kinda is he's good, but he doesn't really. I, I think the character changes a lot, but I don't think his performance really, you know, stands out that much.
0: No, he doesn't get much better as an actor, really. Which is which is an interesting criticism of an actor because he plays the character totally different, but I, I still see the weaknesses in his performance a lot of the time.
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh, I think Kira is has more to do. Like her range is a lot different and um, a lot more interesting. Uh. And I think she gets better as an actress, as a performance as the series goes on. But I top, I top out that section with Quark because he's just money every time he's on yeah. screen.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's um. That leaves us in an interesting place because you obviously have Avery Brooks highly rated on yours. I
1: do. Yeah, I have him as number two on for my actors. Wow. I think, okay. Yeah. <laughs> him, him, shoulder blocking Ducat off the ledge really change things for you well you know i think i think what he's doing is fairly is interesting you know it's uh and where does he rank on your captain's list of the three so far uh he's probably number three yeah
0: that's that's my problem with him really he's my number three
1: as well yeah he uh he's he's good i think he does interesting stuff um I, I applaud him for the, ch- the chances that he takes. Whether or not they are the best choice, I don't know. Uh, but he's definitely, he definitely brings a different feeling to a show like this, where he's not trying to be Captain Picard. He's not trying to be Captain Kirk. It's, he's really trying to do his own thing. Yeah. And uh, I appreciate it.
0: My, um, my top three characters, just in terms of character, I think are Worf, Kira, And Odo is number one. If I had to pick someone, Mm -hmm. some character that defined DS Nine, I think I'd go with Odo as a character. Yeah.
1: If I if I was picking characters over over performances, my top three would be the same.
0: Oh, it'd be Worf, Kira, and Odo.
1: Yeah. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I think that Kira and Odo, despite the fact that they took a season and a half worth of character assassination, really like not not Mm -hmm. even character assassination, basically that they were just shuffled off the board for a long period of time, Mm -hmm. they still to me sum up the series. Really strongly because it's interesting to me that the top two characters for me of this series are not Starch Fleet characters. They're they're the Bajoran characters who stick out for me. And Worf, I think, just as a characterization we've mentioned before, Worf on DS9 just makes much more sense than he does on TNG a lot of the time. And Mm -hmm. the writers understand him better. I think that his arc is really, really clean, except for the Dax thing, which isn't really his fault as a character. Uh, like there was, I don't think there was a good way to really save Worf from what happened with the the DAX changing. But I, I think the way he ends is great. I think the way he came on is great. I think he's such a great outsider character for the show to bring in in the fourth season, and he fits in really well. I think the fourth season is the best season of the show, largely because he freshens things up right in the mm-hmm. middle of the series by coming mm-hmm. onto it and. Yeah, he's. He, I think he's really strong. I, I like Dorn as a. I like Dorn as Worf. I guess would be the yeah. way to say it. And I think that those three are just the, the best example of like thematically what the series was kind of all about. And Cisco is just on the periphery of those three. He's just outside of it.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think. I think Worf is. Uh, he's such a great addition to the show, and really does step it up a little bit. Um, and I, I wonder. You know, is that? Do you feel cause, O'Brien's already there, but he's kind of like an acquaintance more than a friend, you know. Uh, to who? Whereas Worf, to, just to the audience, oh, okay, sure. Uh, whereas Worf is is very much a like a close friend. Do you think that adding Worf makes the show that much more relatable? I think so. Well, like, yeah, if you, if you view it as a, he doesn't really
0: replace O'Brien. But I think fundamentally the problem with O'Brien is that O'Brien doesn't really have a personality that melds with the... Or he doesn't really have a personality that contrasts with the rest of the cast, right? Mm. Because he's he's just a mellow guy who occasionally has a temper. But the O'Brien mistake they made was that they tried to make his family his focal point. And right. the family was so bad that when that fails... It's tough to bring O'Brien into a scene and know what point of view, as a writer, what point of view does O'Brien have about this? He doesn't really have a point of view about anything. Worf, on the other hand, comes in very strongly with his opinion about things, and you know what Worf's stance on the thing is going to be. And that just makes for better episodes, I think, than O'Brien. Like, O'Brien just doesn't, O'Brien doesn't have a zest to himself that really is like, oh, great, an O'Brien episode. This is what we're going to expect from it. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 I would agree.
0: Let's see here. I think that's it. And Kira, did you have, do you have any? Uh, you talked a lot about Kira on the last one, actually. But I think that Kira, is my strong number two. I think that the, if if anyone were to argue against Kira, I would say that it would have to come in some sort of fashion about her relationship stuff was fairly uniformly awful. And I feel like they they did a pretty good job of retreading her material in a way that didn't feel like it was always retreading itself. But at the same time. Their desperation to get her into a re- re, uh, relationship kind of hinted at the fact that
1: they weren't sure what else to do with her. Would you disagree with yeah. that? Yeah, No. That's the thing that's so strange to me, is that, <clears throat> not not that your hard-nosed female character can't also want to be in a relationship, but it's like, that's like the only thing that she was either fighting against the Cardassians and the history of... of horror perpetrated on her and her people or she was like in a weird romance plot yeah yeah and it's it's With really terrible strange characters, terrible yeah characters. <laughs> like i you know it's one thing i guess if you if <laughs> a result of her life the the life that she's led up to this point is that she has like terrible taste in men i guess i don't know no but you but know it's, what the, mo- the most it's never played thing about- that way it's not like it's never anytime that they put her in a relationship it was never her like yeah i don't know I don't really know if this is the right thing. I'm trying really hard, but I feel like I'm doing the wrong thing, and mm. I think he might like me more than I like him It was never anything like that. It was just no, she's in love with some schlub
0: no they're they're her the the way that like the only way that i can if if you're going to make Kira's taste in men this like cardboard boring ass character thing, you have to comment on the fact that it seems like subconsciously she's trying to escape her past right yes she sure. she's trying to. Settle down with someone who is not anything like what her war experience was. She wants to leave that part of her life behind. The show never comments on this. It just sticks her in a relationship and is like, yeah, she likes
1: boring men. What are you going to do about it? That's just the way she is. They they also they also have a couple instances where they could have explored that, like when she's in involved with Chakar. Chakar is a direct line to that past. Yeah. So if you know if that doesn't work, then there could be story elements there of you know it was just she is trying to get away from that, but Chakar is a is a is a direct component of that past. So obviously that's not going to work for all right. sorts of fun yep. reasons. Um and then i don't know barryle is just just boring i guess <laughs> there needs a there's just
0: there's no Burial episode where he's got an acoustic guitar and he's just saying work here another war is over or something like that yeah. it's just never <laughs> never really pushing in that direction that's well it's
1: like, it's like uh, uh uh not to use another buffy illusion, but in in season season 3 of buffy uh uh she and, and angel are are you know, hot and heavy or whatever, and then in season four, Angel leaves and she gets like a normal ass boyfriend. And then when Angel comes back, he's like, "So this guy, huh?" And she's like, "Yeah, he's boring. He's nice. It's great." And Like they don't they don't ever do that where it's like she goes for the boring guy because he's a he's the counterpoint to the, the raucous crazy life yeah. she lives or anything like that. And they don't they don't do anything with it. It's just her. You know, being lovey-dovey with some jackass, and so Odo can be uh, jealous of them.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, and that's uh, that's honestly one of the worst parts of that story. It's not even that they get them together. It's that all of it's not that Odo and Kira eventually get together because that is kind of shitty as well. But it's that all of Kira's relationships seem to be in service of Odo more than they are in service of her to make him jealous. Yes. Yeah which is really, you know, unfortunate and tends to be a byproduct of uh, guys writing this kind of stuff. Yeah. No,
0: Kira is neutered by her relationships in a really kind of frustrating way uh, that defies what the character is supposed to be. And as you're saying, a lot of the time, it's just Odo reacting to news of her being in a relationship. That's supposed to be like the main interesting emotional aspect of those stories, and it never really works out.
1: Yeah, like imagine if there was a couple scenes where... She was talking to Dax, and Dax was just like, yeah, you know, you're not very good at this. <laughs> and she's like, I don't know why. I'm just trying to be in a relationship with a nice person, but I'm terrible at it. Yeah. Also, uh, Armin Shermanman was in 19 episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer across two seasons. Uh, they were 22-episode seasons, so he was in about half of the seasons. Oh,
0: uh, yeah, okay. So he's, he's in about, yeah, half of, the, half, of, half of two seasons. So a season's yeah. worth of
1: episodes. Yeah, basically, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a a decent amount. He's gotta strip off his quirk mask and do the makeup chair and everything. That's a lot yes. of shuffling back and forth <laughs> between those things. Jeez. Um so I guess we'll we'll just we'll wrap up with our top three episodes and then we can go into I do want to end on some positives and then we'll briefly touch on the positives of DS9 because I do think that there are a lot. Um top three episodes, I'll go first for you. Rocks and Shoals, mm-hmm. Duet, mm-hmm. and The Visitor. Or my top three sure. this was actually I don't know how much time you spent on this. I spent a decent amount of the like the past day thinking about this because I had a hard time whittling down what my top three are, and it's not because i, I like it, it didn't feel like they were all obvious choices to me mm-hmm. I, I felt like I could have argued or picked a lot of different selections and but those are the three that I went with the visitor duet and rocks and Shoals. Um, so what, what are your three
1: well um when i saw that that was one of the questions i thought it was funny that you vastly overestimated my ability to remember these episodes
0: i know i know that's <laughs> i was considering sending you the wink uh, the link to wikipedia the episode list is something I've yeah. First, yeah
1: um but when i was thinking about it and the few that i could remember that really stood out to me were obviously duet I, which is the really the first one that stood out to me uh, I actually really loved tacking into the wind. I think okay. that was that was like I think my favorite episode from the past two seasons or so. Oh, really? Interesting. Just, Even over pale moonlight and stuff like that. Yeah, I just thought it was like it was. It seemed like it was the the serialized concept of the show just firing on all cylinders. Gotcha. And it's I think it's the best version of of that I, that concept that they that they've managed to do. Um, and for. Like honestly, that was as far as I could remember. Uh, but <laughs> rocks and shoals is definitely would be up there. <laughs> I didn't want to. I remembered pale moonlight. I didn't want to pick that one because it was so close to the other one. Yep. Um, but that's a good one. Uh, I would say probably, probably rocks and shoals. If I it would would be number three. I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're the one. There's the uh, the sec- inter arma enim silent Lagos was the other one that you gave a five later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the I mean the popular choices are the ones where uh, Far Beyond the Stars, where he goes back and you meet Benny Russell for the first time. Sure.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I would put that on my top three. Yeah.
0: I don't think I would I don't think I would either. But it's interesting. I, I I really like the visitor and stuff like that. Duet obviously is like the sort of interestingly early pinnacle of the series or like a gem yeah. from that. And Rocks and Shoals I think is the best wartime story that they told across everything. Yeah, that's it. Those are those we'll be doing. I'll be doing the 30 days of DS9 as we uh, continue on starting in the next couple of days. Anyway, since this thing posts, you guys can follow me on the Instagram and the Twitter if you're interested. Now, in what, is the this, others. what is this going to consist of? It's just an image and me typing a little blurb about what my choice oh, is. So okay. it's like best quote, best episode of season seven, blah, 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 stuff like that. Sure. Um, let's see here. So let's talk about the positives, Clay. What are the positives mm. of this series? Why, why should someone watch this show over TNG? uh what did it do well
1: on netflix you can skip the intro and it's like 40 minutes
0: (laughs) did you even watch the um the finale intro or did you skip that one too i think i skipped it i can't remember (laughs) is it different do they change it no i just i i i intentionally watched it i do skip them every once in a while but i intentionally watched that one just because i was like oh it's the end i have to watch the entire thing yeah Yeah.
1: i honestly can't remember it depends on how much time i had to watch the episode
0: sometimes i want to hear the
1: song and sometimes i don't feel the need to do it yeah yeah um yeah i think positives i think it's uh yeah it's a great uh companion to the other star trek series is that this that that had been out at this point honestly it still is um it uh the characters are really well drawn for the most part it really opens up the universe in a way that the other ones don't. Um, can't watch it as your first Star Trek. Can you? Or do you think n- it would work? I, you know, I don't know actually. Probably not. Yeah, I guess it does. It it has it is so reliant on on specifically TNG more than anything else that you probably have to have some sort of working knowledge of of TNG.
0: Maybe I'm reading maybe I'm sort of transplanting my uh, feelings towards this franchise and everything, which makes it sound very overly dramatic or whatever. But as you, as you mentioned, um, I'm sort of more in the, the reads with this series and this franchise and everything like that. Like I know the stupid little details that you don't really need to know and everything like that, but Uh would, um, I feel that on some emotional level, I connect with DS9, and I've been thinking about DS9 finishing in a way that I didn't think about TNG when it wrapped up. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that means it's a better series or anything, but i I just feel that I feel like the DS9 characters are characters that stick with me more than the TNG cast does. And that might be a strength of cast thing, and it might just be those sort of stories that DS9 has given us about these guys, but. Like I feel a when when the start when the TNG cast breaks up at the end of Nemesis, it doesn't feel anything like the sort of bittersweet sense that I get from the finale of DS Nine when all the characters sure. go their separate ways. Sure, and that's that's yeah. really my main takeaway. I think is that I, I feel lived in with DS Nine in a way the TNG maybe intentionally doesn't and it's sort of the way that it's set up doesn't really allow you to but the ds9 family and the ds9 cast members really feel like something which is why i was i was always beating my head against the wall when they stopped writing sort of ensemble scenes with the entire cast later on in the series and i I thought that Mm -hmm. was a big mistake they obviously had story they wanted to get through but that's pretty much it i'll i I ended the series thinking about it more than I ever thought about TNG and just over the past couple of days of like trying to think about what the series meant and everything like that. I I feel like I understand it on a deeper level and I think that what they talked about was more important than what TNG talks about even if they screw up more than TNG did. So it's it's this really interesting complex and I guess this is a long way of just saying that I'd have a hard time saying that DS9 is a superior series to TNG, but I couldn't understand making that argument at the same
1: time because of how it sits with you. Mm. Well, I, you know, as I said in the last episode, I think Kira is my favorite Star Trek character, full stop. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because she, Deep Space Nine, fleshes out these characters in a way that TNG never did. Um and yeah, I, I think TNG. You, when you th- when I think about TNG, I think about the archetype character of the characters more than I do the 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 changes that they went through, and that's obviously by design. But it's yeah, it. I think when you say the the breaking up of the cast is not as effective in Nemesis, I also think that's because. The the kind of stories that they tell are not meant to end, whereas in Deep Space Nine you've got stories that are being told that ultimately have endpoints. That you have characters go through growth and change, and then eventually they split up. Everybody comes to Deep Space Nine because they're looking for something. Everybody leaves Deep, Deep Space Nine because they found it in some way or another. Yeah, yeah. Which is and which is why Nemesis doesn't really work, but. All good things does because the uh the touching element of all good things is that they uh no matter how much things change around them, these characters will remain together and they will be out there searching the stars et cetera et cetera you know yep yep. them them finding something and then ultimately leaving the show isn't really what it's about,
0: right. Yeah, and DS9's journey has been different uh, from that, so as you say. The people have found something, and now it's time for them to move on and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I um, I did. I enjoyed it. I'm glad we watched the series. Glad I got it all the way through. I've now there were definitely episodes of the series that I hadn't seen before, which was interesting mm. in contrast to TNG, where I had seen everything. Um, yeah, me too. So it's. It's nice to get a, a fresh sense on that, and to not uh, have missed anything, and to get a, a solid through line of everything that went on. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a—it's a really good series. It's interesting the way that it approaches the Star Trek universe is really kind of fascinating and very um, thoughtful. I think Ira Bear had a quote about DS Nine being the most human of all the Star Treks, and I think he's right about that. Did um, he say
1: it? Did he say it like Kirk when he was like, "Of all the Star Trek series." <laughs> Deep Space Nine <laughs> was the most human.
0: <laughs> I can't imagine any other way that he w- He should have said that if he didn't. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good and not without its faults, but it's an interesting Star Trek series and probably the, um, you know, an evolution of the original idea, which is interesting enough. And uh, all those things. That's it. We're done with DS9, I guess.
1: Any final words for DS9? Thank God. No, I just know. No, yeah, I, I'm really glad I watched it. Um, I so not to go out on a. I don't know if this would be a downer, but uh, <clears throat> as a final thought about the contrast between the two of them, do you find yourself? Do you think you will go back to Deep Space Nine more or less often than you would go back to TNG at this point? Less often. Yeah, I think so too. And I don't. I don't think that's. I think it, that's just a matter of the design of the show. Yeah. You know, where it's, it's difficult to dip in on the fifth episode of the 10-episode Dominion War, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean... <laughs> and it's if, not, it's not, it doesn't have the, it's not as, as, as like, it's not, it's not the warm hug that TNG is, ultimately, you know?
0: No, it's not. It's, and I think
1: it's better for that. I think it is. I think it's better for that, that they did something different and they succeeded at it. Hey everybody! I forgot to talk about the patron comments for this one. You,
0: you step away, you finish DS9, and it's like you never podcasted about it before. But I did ask our patrons, as usual, what they thought about the uh, the series as a wrap up. So I'm just going to insert them right here. I'm going to start with Kyle Barrett, who said, "Show good." Very good comment from Kyle. Moving on, Neil Brennan says, "Grown up Star Trek. Fuck yeah." The highest highs of any Trek I've watched so far. With the Ferengi episodes, maybe the lowest lows. Just kidding. TNG characters can only dream of the depth most of the DS9 crew achieved. So hard not to view it and wonder what a 2010s version, cutting out a lot of the shit of 1990s t- uh, network TV, would look like. Strikes me it had the biggest bag of great ideas of any Trek show, even if they weren't all capitalized on. Wayun, Garrick, and Goldukat are all timers, not to mention my captain for life, Benjamin Sisko. I think I've described the plot of one TNG episode to my wife in a isn't-this-cool way. I've told her about Duet, Pale Moonlight, The Visitor, Far Beyond the Stars, and Move Along Home. Captain Quark says... DS9 is my favorite Star Trek series to date, but a curated watch list is definitely recommended. The show is at its best when it deals with the Dominion, the Cardassians, and the Klingons, but you can skip a significant chunk of the other episodes. Duet, The Visitor, and Children of Time are my recommended must-see one-shot episodes. The Station Occupation arc in Season 6 is the series' high point. The show grew frustrating after that arc since, with some notable exceptions like In the Pale Moonlight and Treachery Faith and the Great River, many of the following episodes are either unmemorable, low-quality, or both. Fortunately, the final chapter of Season 7 mostly brought everything back into focus. In retrospect, I would have wrapped up the show with a tighter sixth season that finished the Dominion War and concluded both the Emissary and Dukat storylines and Sacrifice of Angels. That's a pretty early uh, time to finish the war, actually. I don't know what they would talk about for the rest of it. Zam Nuclear Wessel writes... The Galactic politics are definitely what drew me into DS9, along with the new viewpoint in which many scenes have no humans or even Federation citizens present. But it's the characters that make it a pleasure to revisit the show, even the lesser episodes. The other tracks had great characters too, but the relationships between the Niners are very dynamic and interesting. Dwayne Hackett says... DS9 is by far my favorite Trek series. Even 20 years after its final episode, DS9 is still the best Star Trek series to me. It has the most consistent character development mixed with various forms of intrigue and daring, which pushed Star Trek as a whole into unknown territory. DS9 did this while re- uh, Did all of this while navigating the risky waters of 90s TV, which is why it remains the most culturally relevant out of all of the series. Vault13Hero says... Well, it started fairly rocky, as all tracks in the 90s, uh, 80s and 90s did, it truly was the best Star Trek series story wise. Adding Worf to the mix was great. I don't think the Klingon storylines would have been anywhere near as good if he wasn't on DS9. Weirdly enough, I think my favorite characters on the show are Quirk, Rom, and Nog. No one can deny that the Ferengi centric episodes were awful, but when they were allowed to just support the main story, I think it was great TV. Fantastic series. Matt Ross says, from some of the worst stories, Malora, Meridian, Let He Who Is Without Sin, most Ferengi episodes, to some of the best character development, emotion, and serial storytelling, DS9 allowed us to experience it all. What made this stand apart are those interconnected serializations and the fact that not everyone was the best in their positions. The idealism of the Federation quickly became tarnished, if not outrightly broken, aka Section 31. Not everyone, uh, not everywhere is paradise. People aren't all taken in by the amoeba of the Federation. It was fun and filled in a lot of the gaps of what the other non-Starship crews were Doing and had characters that made you want to get to know them, except Keiko. She's obviously mean. Not every story was well executed, but the Dominion arc, the Klingon War, and the character interactions, for the most part, carried us through, making it one of the best, if not the best, Star Trek series. Ella Moraine. Christian Pouch says, each of the big three Trek series has a particular place in my heart. I watched TNG when I was first getting to Trek as a wee lad and feels like comfort food. Voyager is the series I followed all the way through as I was older and my siblings and I could track it independent of my parents' interest. I actually missed a lot of DS9 on its first run through, but it's my favorite in terms of the highs in storytelling and character building, and it's my preferred view of the Trek universe. It's not perfect, not by a long shot, but it does some amazing work that is really satisfying to watch. It's not just moralizing at you. It's not just trying to hammer a point. It's an examination and discussion, and I think that's a very mature and nuanced take on Star Trek. Kyle Barrett came back after his night of drinking and leaving his first comedy. He says, Garrick, 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 Garrick all about Garrick. This last rewatch has cemented him as my favorite supporting character across all Star Trek. Although the show forgets him a few times over the series, most notably towards the end before he makes a triumphant return in the final arc, he has a great character journey and Andrew Robinson is a wonderful performer. And the episode The Wire ranks among my very favorite of the series. Lastly, Yarpy says... First thought that comes to mind with DS9 is inconsistency and I probably rated the last arc too high. I think one of the problems with DS9 might be too many writers. On this time around, I was a bit surprised how poorly the last arc was paced, especially compared to certain other sci-fi shows set on a space station as well. Another surprising thing was that this supporting cast was stronger than the regular cast such as DeMar and Garrick when you look at the whole sh- when you look at the whole show. And of course, Wayun. Thank you patrons for leaving your thoughts. Thank you for supporting the series and that's it. All right, back to the show. Yeah, I mean, Rocks and Shoals I have as a top three episode, right? Rocks and Shoals is tough to drop into without the build-up being there for it. Right. And I think they do have episodes that stand alone, like Duet and The Visitor, I think, do stand on their own and everything like Mm -hmm. that. But it is tough to... It's... Because the irony there is, as much as I'm talking about like the cast and the family of DS9 feeling like something, it feels like it's a harder family to just drip like drop into on a, on a moment's mm. notice, and to like pick the right episode where everyone is just kind of there and doing things. There's not a lot of episodes that are like that. It's more the the sense of family and the sense of like being in the show comes across much more strongly from just watching a lot of the episodes in a row than it is mm. from picking anyone in particular uh, in the way that TNG is. I feel like 80% of TNG episodes you could kind of pick and get a good sense of the entire cast is there with you doing things, mm. yeah. and yeah. DS9 doesn't feel that way.
1: Yeah, you can't, uh, <laughs> you can't drop in on an episode of Deep Space Nine just because you want to see like some good Kira stuff. Right. Yeah. Like the way that you would drop in on TNG just to see, oh, I love Riker. I love what Riker does. It's like, yeah, Riker does kind of the same shit in every episode, so yep. you're going to see it. That a version of that that's going to make you go, "Oh, that's why I love Riker." <laughs> if you just drop in on a random episode of Deep Space Nine and it's it, it's Kira off with her boyfriend, not doing anything, yeah, you know, and, it, and Odo masturbating
0: work. in the corner or
1: something, yeah. you're just like,
0: "This is not what I'm. I, I did not sign up for this. This is not what I want." Yeah, no. it's
1: it's it's inter- it's interesting how that how it shakes out that way
0: is uh is T- yeah i mean i mentioned uh, tng really is the idealized family and ds9 is your real family there's like misery yeah. <laughs> in your real family you know when <laughs> you you, you, kinda, you run into it. and tng is like this uh perfect little 1950s white picket fence version of what that working relationship would be yeah
1: you know i i think when when you picture ooh shit when you picture the two series too right it's deep uh tng is is much brighter uh more the, pleasant the to uni- watch yeah, yes. yeah, the uniforms yeah. are a lot brighter, and I think it's such a great choice that they made in Deep Space Nine to immediately make the uniforms darker. Mm-hmm. It just changes the atmosphere of the show, and then they go even a step further and make them even darker than they were at the beginning of the show.
0: And militarized. And, they militarize yeah. themselves over the course of it, yeah.
1: Yeah, and it really does add a different layer to the show that I think... Works so much better. Like, could you imagine the shit that happens in the Dominion War arc if everybody was wearing like TNG era uniforms, season one, like tight uh, onesies? Yeah, (laughs) it just it would feel weird, right? Yeah, it would. Seeing seeing Cisco sitting behind that desk wearing that bright or you know darkish red tunic, yes, and talking talking about (laughs) talking about uh, sending Worf off to murder Gowron because he won't. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> screwing up the the Klingon offensive protocol or whatever it's true no and I think
0: that it, it's a shame that the series will never get remastered fully because I think that the you know something that i we probably should have commented more on, but we didn't it, just because you can't see it is the station mm-hmm. itself I think aesthetically yeah. is really. Like, there's, they do it because it's supposed to be Cardassian architecture, but it's an angry design that they built into the station. Like, the station does not look very friendly. It doesn't have the wall-to-wall carpeting of TNG and things like Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And in standard definition, you can't really see it that well because they're intentionally low-lighting it, and it's not brightly lit like TNG. But it's just – it's something that – Everything's so angular and jagged in the production design mm-hmm. of, De- of Deep Space Nine in a way that suits the material and um, sort of puts you into the mindset of that discomfort that a
1: lot of the characters are in. I don't find that it has the same uh, um, design. I don't think the design stands out the way that the stuff on TNG does or even the original series. Like, I, Deep Space Nine doesn't really have a bridge. They have that, like, comms area. Yeah, ops. They but, abandon ops, too. They don't yeah, shoot ops. in ops a lot, yeah. They've got ops, but they. D- it's not like... I don't have a picture of what ops looks like in my head, right. the way I do the bridge of the Enterprise, or I don't have a picture... I mean, I kind of have a picture of what the promenade looks like, but even there, it's like, it's very dark, it's very... It's not brightly colored, or I'm not saying it should be, but it's. It's. it's a different... It, it it makes the atmosphere different not having in a star trek show these very identifiable sets and landmarks. Yes. Uh, they are identifiable but just not in the same way. What's the what's the set that defines DS9 for you? For me, uh, the giant gear door that rolls open. <laughs> That's the only design <laughs> element that stands out to me. Like it's 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 the it's the weirdest thing and it's the place where everybody comes in and they made this really instead of just another, you know, Door that opens. They turned it into this giant wheel that like rolls away from the the front of the the entranceway. Yeah, yeah. um That's the first thing I think of when I think of Deep Space Nine.
0: I think of there's a, couple, a lot of like you could think of the promenade. You could think of quarks. Quarks are probably number two for me. Yeah, you could think of Cisco's office. I tend to think of um, the design of their uh, rooms, like their personal spaces. For some sure. reason, I don't know why it's very dark. It's always very um unpleasant in all of those rooms in a way that TNG wasn't but that that's something that comes to my mind for some reason quarks would quarks would probably be number two um even if I feel like I feel like ten forward better suited the bar idea than quarks did somehow. Mm-hmm. I don't really know why, but that just seems to be the the case for me that I think of ten forward as like a um better
1: use of that kind of setting than quarks ever was, yeah. I uh I always thought Corks was weird, oddly designed because I I couldn't place exactly where in the station it was. Yeah. Uh, because there's no real, you don't get a good sense of where the entrance is and stuff. It just sort of is there, and it's yeah. it's kind of open concept a little bit. Yep.
0: Just on the promenade, I guess it's just one of yeah. the shops that's out there. Yeah. All right, I guess we're done with this one. DS Nine is over. Thank you very guys very much for listening. I think our next podcast is going to be about the documentary, and then we'll do a movie, and then it's Picard. Maybe we'll try to get all the movies done, but we'll see what the uh, the state of the un- the union is at that point. But it'll definitely be the documentary next, uh, so you guys can get ready for that. It's called What We Left Behind. I think that's it. Clay, anything you want to say before we sign
1: off? Um, no, I don't think so. Thanks for uh, thanks for listening to me. Uh, fumble my way through Deep Space Nine for the first time I hope I didn't offend too many people in my ignorance <laughs> yeah no it's good it's
0: um, it's tough because we just finished it but it, you certainly have to think about it I guess for a little bit or something but or, um, maybe it's just the nature of how often I do this that I tend to think about stuff like that but it's been fun to do Thank you very much, guys, for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. Best way to do that is patreon.com slash the Penske file. A couple dollars a month and you get extra stuff. Otherwise, social media down below, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, blah, blah, blah. You can follow me on those for the 30 days of DS9, which I'll be doing. I think that's pretty much it. We'll be back with the documentary after this, which uh, which is good. I like the documentary, but Clay hasn't seen it yet. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. We'll see their their idea for how Season 8 would have started if there was a Season 8. And then we'll talk about uh, Avery Brooks not being present. We'll talk about Marco Lamo's fashion sense. We'll talk about Irish Stephen Bear's fashion sense, I suppose, and we'll take it from they, there. They don't talk to Cisco on the documentary? He refused to do interviews for the documentary. Really? Yeah. Why? He said he said all that he needs to say and he doesn't want to say any more. <laughs> <laughs> but he still does conventions and shit i I guess i don't know if he does conventions and he certainly was doing them i don't know if he's completely abandoned that at this point um I'm torn about it because while I understand not wanting to do things like that, I think there's a certain level of responsibility that you should think about for other people who enjoyed it i guess and yeah it's not like they're they're not doing like a um what's that before uh, boyhood. What's that movie with Linklater, or what is it? Where they, you know, filmed them for ten oh, years right. or something. Like, there's yeah, not, yeah. they're just going to interview you for four hours and then be done with it. And I
1: think you could. I know. Yeah. You You would think, if anything, the pitch would be okay. That's fine. But like, what if this This is the last thing to say. Right. This is your you final know, like, statement, is, right here. Yeah. 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 I don't know. That's uh, It's disappointing. Uh,
0: but I don't think the documentary really suffers from it. But it is uh, unfortunate. And it's that not you even to
1: do it. It's not even like – so uh, the, the, the Blu-ray set for The Prisoner has a, a, a big making of documentary on The Prisoner where they talk to pretty much everybody who was still alive except Patrick McGowan because uh, – and at the beginning of the documentary, there is a st- written statement from him that says essentially what Avery Brooks said. <clears throat> that I, I feel is different because there is so much stuff that ha- people have been asking him. For 50 years or whatever at that point that he has answered the same questions about the same plot points and the same, you know, mysteries and stuff over yeah. and over and over again. And the the, st- the show itself serves as its own statement. Um, so I, I can understand him not wanting to talk about it anymore. Yeah. But it's like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not it's not like I'm sure he gets asked about it a lot. But why not go on? Rec- I don't know. It seems that seems silly to me. No, I think it's I think
0: it's, a, I think it's a, a pretty silly thing to do. I just think you do. You, I think it's just like it's like an ethical thing. You just have to weigh what is four hours of your time versus making potentially. You know, I don't know how many, how many people watch the documentary, but say it's like a million people who watch it and yeah. improving that for them. You know, like there's a there's a certain trade off. Like it's, it's like yeah, just answer the Star Trek
1: questions. It's what everyone knows you for Mm. like (laughs) he would do he did that friggin captain's documentary with shatner but he won't do this right yeah yep. well we won't get too down on the documentary before we start maybe maybe he said i'll do it but only if i can play the piano and sing while i do it (laughs) and they were like no man come on
0: (laughs) avery was tickling the ivory so aggressively that the audio is ruined and we can't hear anything he had to say so we're going to cut him out we'll be back with the blu-ray the documentary what we left behind in a couple days thank you very much for listening guys thank you for uh, listening to our coverage of ds9 thank you for listening in general and i guess we'll see you later thanks